Before we get started, I want to thank our friends at Kohler for supporting our podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Domino's new podcast, Design Time, where we explore spaces and places with meaning. I'm your host, Jessica Ron Perez, Domino's Editor-in-Chief. Each week, join me along with creative visionaries who will share their journey to designing spaces that move you. We'll explore the emotional side of design, from the ritual of gathering to a mood-boosting paint trick to the renovation tips that will inspire your next project. Home is the best place to start exploring personal style. How do you shape your world from the inside out? Let's discover now on Design Time. Jeremiah Brent is on a mission for the original. Known for his megawatt career and likable TV personality, Jeremiah's design approach is rooted in the ritual of living in a home you love and comfort without for a second sacrificing an ounce of style. Despite his visual point of view being highly appealing, Jeremiah is incredibly thoughtful about what he buys, instinctual as a designer and generous. Natural materials, sculptural lines, and collected vintage mingle in a way that is artistic and uniquely his. Along with his husband, Nate Burkus, Jeremiah's current TV projects include HGTV's competition show, Rock the Block, and Netflix, Say I Do, along with the popular Nate and Jeremiah by Design, which follows their career and family life with their two adorable children, Poppy and Oscar. His now two collections of furniture for living spaces is a balanced study of emotional and functional design. I'm so excited to share my conversation with Jeremiah with all of you. Hey, Jeremiah, how's it going? I'm good. How are you? I mean, I feel like we're just blocks apart. I know. It's so weird. I'm desperate for like a face-to-face conversation with a cocktail. It feels like we're close. I know. It smells like optimism to me. I, I swear I was saying that my kids the last couple of days, just like looking at the joy on their faces from a little bit of sunshine, it's really like recharging and a little heartbreaking, but it's it's great. Spring's I mean, I here. feel that way. Yeah. Will this be your first spring back in New York or when did you guys move back from LA? This will be the first one really back and we're settled in. We're done. Our neighborhood, we love everything. And I'm really excited, especially this year. I feel like everybody is just seeing things in a different way. Like I'm noticing the buds on every tree this year, the smells of the city. I noticed the birds are back um, on our street. My daughter came running downstairs this morning. She goes, there's so many birds. They woke me up. I love it. And I was like, Mm. oh, they're back. They're back. It's so so nice. We'll see. I'm really excited about it. So you've gone through a pretty substantial renovation in New York, right? Mm Mm-hmm beyond all the TV projects you're working on and all of those renovations and in fact, taking on so many projects in 2020, which is incredible. You've just gone through completing two homes of your own. Totally by accident. The townhouse in New York we did right before we moved back and it was a complete gut. The gentleman we bought it from had done a lot of amazing work behind the walls and really helped fortify the house and make it kind of this 
spaceship, things I never would have done with technology because I like a light switch. Everything we did was to really bring back the historical reference and the integrity, kind of bringing back things and materials that you would have seen in the house from when it was built, um, which is such a fun renovation to go through. And then simultaneously, we had bought in Montauk, never thought we were going to live out there. But then Montauk turned out to be this special little weird, beautiful town that we fell in love with. And we actually finished that renovation right before the pandemic hit. So it ended up really saving our lives in a lot of ways. I do want to talk about energy because I think in a lot of this podcast, I'm really interested in, you know, we launched it last year, very much thinking about like the emotional side of design and how our spaces can support us, like the ritual of home, what that means. And I think it's been ever more important. How do you think about the energy in your own space? Obviously, that's changed being so multifunctional and being everything to us in this time. But how do you think about setting the energy at home and really feeding that energy? I am a really deeply ritualistic person, more so than I ever even realized. I am really, really sensitive to the energy of a home, to the energy of an office space, anything. I'm very receptive to it. So, you know, for us, I am one of those people that needs like four hours of sleep, which I love because it gives me the mornings. I usually get up around four o'clock and I spend the morning alone and I meditate. I have coffee. I catch up on work if I've got the time. And I set the energy for the house before the kids wake up. Since the day they were born, there's always music playing, candles lit or incense. The lights are on a certain way. The windows are open. I really believe in that energy. But I change the energy throughout the day. I mean, the afternoon, the lighting changes, the music changes, the candles change. And the same thing at night. I dim the lights after dinner. And for me, those rituals and those ceremonies really tether you to your home, to the experience of... Um, how you're feeling. And I've watched how that energy has shaped the kids and kind of really grounded them. You know, they're used to it now. They're used to this is how the mornings are. And, you know, we have our little rituals where we dance and stuff before school. And and they love that. You know, they have, and any time that I don't do it, they're like, why aren't we doing this? What's happening? And it feels like their space. Exactly. And by the way, a lot of those ceremonies have evolved from them. The music's changed because of what they like. Um, You know, today, actually, (laughs) this morning, our son wanted to hear Madonna's Vogue, which is like a big thing in our house right now. We danced to it every night. And then after we played Vogue, our daughter was like, can you put um, some calm music back on again, please? Oh, my Um, gosh. So it's just funny to watch. That is so cute. I love that. Of course, the things that are in our space are important, but all of those things, the smell, the music, obviously the lighting being so important, how that affects how you want to live in your space. And I think especially over the course of the last year, those ceremonies and those things that you do throughout the day that kind of gave it placeholders and markers and, you know, all of those things were really important for our own psyche with kind of navigating everything that was going on. How would you advise people to tap into that or learn to reset that energy or think about their energy in their space? I think I would approach it the same way I really approach design, which is, you know, really talking to people about the moments of their day that are important to them and and, and finding the time to craft a space that allows that and a schedule that allows it. You know, for me, the mornings are so intrinsically important to me. 
And when I wake up, like I think I slept until like 6.30 a couple of weeks ago and I had a nervous breakdown. I just didn't know what to do with myself because <laughs> I was just was so off and the kids were going to be up at seven and I was like, I've got 30 minutes. So, you know, I think those moments for me are deeply restorative, but I think people have to really start thinking about where they can put some stillness into their day. And sometimes it's for five minutes. Sometimes it's for two hours in the morning. For parents, I think it's even more important. Kids pick up energy in a space. Like my husband and I talk about that all the time. Like they feed that energy off of you. How would you advise parents in prioritizing that? The one thing that Nate and I always made as a promise to one another, and I think it was Maya Angelou who said it, was that we always would make sure that our eyes and our faces lit up when the kids walked into the room. And it's really simple, but it goes a long way when those little people are seen and they know that they're valued. And I'm so deeply emotional about everything. So everything matters to me. And I think watching your children and listening to them is where you learn everything. I think we're all in a much more emotional place from the last year. And I think the more that we can tap into that in a positive way, whether it's shuffling your priorities or thinking back on, oh, well, like what were those things that were special about the last year? And how do we prioritize those things in the future? How do we think about how we want to live our lives going forward? I think everyone needs to take stock of that. How has family life changed your personal design approach? How are you thinking about your own spaces? It has and it hasn't. I'll get very existential and then I'll make it very simple. On one hand, where it's really changed the way I look at design is that Nate and I, over the course of 10 years, have lived in 10 different homes. You know, we're always kind of just interested. We try it, we create it, we master it. We're like, what's next? This is interesting. And where it has changed for me is for the first time in my entire life, and I mean from childhood till now, I'm interested in roots. I have these fantasies of our child walking down the staircase for these important moments and it being the same staircase and, and the floors being the same floors that have done and been through years and years of experiences and really finding that house that can hold on to us. So I think with the children, that thing that's changed for me is I am looking for far less transactional experiences. Having kids has made me want to find a place that'll just hold on to us. My house growing up, we were all responsible for that house. Everybody had a role to play. And, you know, we were never kind of told we couldn't do anything, couldn't be anywhere, but you had to be respectful of everywhere you were. And even with our kids, they know what to get on, what not to get on. And we've always treated them like little people. I know I'm not the only one who misses the little luxuries of staying in a hotel. Room service, extra plus sheets, a luxe bathroom, there's nothing better. Except maybe recreating that feeling at home every day. A smart toilet probably isn't something you thought you needed. But trust me, step into your bathroom and get transported to your favorite Paris hotel with a Kohler cleansing seat. Easily customizable for all your preferences, temperature, cleansing, lighting. It's time to ask yourself, is your home really living up to its full lux potential? Because once you have it, you'll wonder how you ever lived without a heated bidet seat. Explore the possibilities for luxing up the spaces you love at Kohler.com slash smart home. You've designed kids' collection of furniture. 
and also designing your own collection of furniture for living spaces. What have you thought about in the process of designing the furniture about family living and also about what you want to put out there in the world? Well, I think kids' furniture categorically for me is so terrible. And it feels, again, so transactional. You know, you've got a chest of drawers, you've got it for a year and a half, and then you've got to get rid of it. So I feel like everything that Nate and I are trying to design, we're trying to find a way where you can not spend a lot of money, but really have a piece that can transition with you and your family. Um, you know, and the, the truth is that nursery, it's really for the parent for the first two years. And it's like, how can we create a space that obviously feels playful and fun, even though they're just really going to sleep and poop in here for the first year and a half, but also feels like a soft place to land for a parent. And I think I always am trying to play around with the idea of playful sophistication, bringing in these materials that got patina and historical references, but using lacquered brass on a hummingbird mobile. It feels a little bit special and might be something that you want to hold on to and put somewhere else when you're done here. It's always been my goal to try to create things that may not have cost a lot of money, but can last a long time. What are those things? Because I think, I mean, that's, that's the holy grail, right? Especially now that there's so much interest in vintage. There's so much amazing vintage out there and there's so much repurposing and, and that feeling good as a citizen of the world, like keeping that going. But what are those things that have longevity to you? Well, I mean, to your point, vintage for me will always be like the Holy Grail. You know, the idea that you can find these pieces that have this rich history with them, the patinas that sometimes you just can't reinvent. We've got chairs that we've had recovered 10 times over the course of the last, you know, 10 years, but they've gone through all these different iterations, but they mean something to us. I think if we can look at things with that lens, the idea of not every purchase needing to be so transactional um, and fast fashion, so to speak. And I think the really beautiful thing about what we've gone through this last year and people actually spending time in their home real time is people are thinking to themselves, you know, this room doesn't need to be this room because it's got a better view than the other room. And the light in here is so special. And maybe I can just make this a seating area instead of having a formal dining room that I've never used. And I think that's where the longevity is. And that's kind of what I'm excited about is dressers that can turn into a changing table that can turn into a nightstand eventually for your children. Those things that kind of can be a rhythm of your family and of your story. What have you learned from renovating and moving into 10 new homes and spaces? I think people are very overwhelmed by the process of even embarking on a new renovation or moving into a new space and where to even start. How would you advise people kind of if they're embarking on a renovation? How do you make it successful? We're good at renovations, not because of anything other than the fact that we're very organized. I think that everybody's about one mistake away from a money pit and things can go awry really quickly. And you have to be very organized. And with us, especially with our own renovations, we sit down and we talk about our priorities. You know, we talk about what spaces are the most important, where we want to invest money, where we don't. We make concessions, which isn't, again, something that most people don't want to do, but you have to. doesn't matter what your budget is. And we don't bite off more than we can chew. Don't start the kitchen until the bathroom's done or vice versa, one at a time. So don't be afraid to take your time and allow yourself also to 
collect that layer that makes it a home. And make mistakes. You know, we, the mistakes are usually where the most beautiful things are born from. And, and I love that process, you know, just having married another very opinionated decorator, I've realized that there's obviously, there's more than one way to create something really beautiful. Take some chances and be open to what those chances might yield. You talk a lot about creating calm and creating an atmosphere and an energy in a space. And I, I totally, I think that's so important. How do you create that calm or what materials are you gravitating to that channel that for you? My biggest source of inspiration with anything is travel and nature. So for me, everything has to be deeply textural and the palette is always rooted in nature. If it's not something that you can find out your window, it's not really something I connect to. I like a palette that's obviously a lot more subtle. I'm not a huge like massive color component just because I think um, for me, so much is so busy and so frantic that I like I like a warm, soft place to land, I guess. I love the natural materials. I think they're timeless. I think that they will never go out of style. I think that greens, ambers, taupes, all those things, I don't know, they just, they spark, they're for me personally, I love that. So it's always kind of what I see in nature that makes me calm. I mean, I think even just saying those colors, the greens, the amber, like those warm touches, taking those into a space, because I think so many people, let's say they move into a space that is really new or feels like a, like a blank slate or a white box. You immediately just even thinking of adding those colors and those elements that adds layers. And texture. People should have a lot more fun with texture. I don't think it gets enough play when it comes to home. You know, there's so many great textures out there that can do so much. And again, I'm just about longevity. And for me, a more neutral palette rooted in nature has a longevity that will last for years. How has the last year impacted where you're at in design right now or how you're thinking about spaces? I think I've gotten a lot weirder. (laughs) I love that. Let's Um, get weird. Yes, I'm all about getting weird. My big mission statement in our firm right now is I don't want anything to look like something you've seen for any of our projects. You know, with the age of Pinterest and everything that's really at your fingertips, which I think is great, by the way, that people can travel the world virtually in five minutes and reference things. But I am desperate to find a way to just create original things. So that's kind of what I'm trying to do. And I think, especially on the cusp of the last year, um, there's been so much internally about talking and creative and ideation. And, and I think that's really what this year has been for me is it's kind of fortified my creativity. I feel the confidence to really explore things and try things in a new way. And it's working. It's really exciting. And I'm, I'm really, I'm really happy about it. I think in an age where everyone can kind of see what everyone else is doing and sparking that curiosity, how are you pushing yourself? creatively and what kinds of things are you exploring? I'm blending eras. I'm blending materials. I'm playing around with um, France in the 1930s and then um, what was Halston's apartment like in the 70s. And wow, there's lines that work with deco and this, how, how can we bring deco into the Belgian countryside? And, you know, that for me, and again, that idea of that juxtaposition again, it really excites me. And 
travel, obviously always being the number one component and finding ways to bring in design periods and materials that shouldn't go together, but finding a way for them to actually blend together. That's really exciting. Can you share a few ideas on making the most of a budget? How would you advise someone who is working maybe on a more limited budget? How would you kind of advise them how to get the most out of it? You know, everything we do is always based off of what are the most important moments in your day for your family? You know, where are we going to get the most return for the investment? But really investing in the spaces that are the most important. You know, sometimes the most important part of your day is at night with the family in the family room. Let's talk about the kitchen then and what it really needs to serve and how you can address it. But I always, with every project, sit down with the client and go, okay, how does your day start? How does it end? What's your favorite moment? What's your least favorite moment of the day? What part of the house gets the most sun? What makes you the happiest? You know, it's always an emotional exercise because that's really where you start to create those ceremonies and those rituals and those moments. What materials do you think do that or look more elevated than aren't? One thing that obviously is having a big moment now, and I'm not the first to ever say it, but this Venetian plaster moment that everyone's obsessed with, there's great companies out there like Portola Paints who do those faux finishes where you can get that same look and do it yourself on a weekend. I think it adds a lot of bang for the buck. I think wallpaper's back in a big way. And I think it can do a lot. It can add architecture to a space just as well as paint can. There's beautiful materials out there that, I mean, Quartz is doing things that I didn't even realize you could do anymore. I didn't know that I could cut a bevel edge on Quartz. And so I think there's a lot of fun out there. I think anything that's going to add a lot of bang for your buck is usually, for me, finishes and ways to introduce architecture to the space at a minimal cost. I think that notion where we're like, oh, add architecture to a space, but what does that mean? Because I think that is such a great tip for someone who is either renting or can't embark on a big renovation or really has a space that they've moved into that maybe isn't all that they wanted it to be. What does that actually mean? Well, I mean, I've done it a couple different ways. You do it with paint. You can go after kind of that whole moment and... Um, Oaxaca or other places in Mexico where they've done these gorgeous archways painted with an uh, alternating color over over square doors that have all of a sudden you've got this beautiful scallop detail that's a paint effect that you've done around the trim and the baseboards of the whole space gives it intrinsically a different moment. I've done it with actual picture molding. You Google or go onto Pinterest and you find a gorgeous Parisian apartment and with that really simple quarter round picture molding you can tack it straight onto the walls, paint it all the same color, and you've got that beautiful architecture that feels like it costs, you know, way more than it does. So I think those things go a long way. I've done it with wood beams. Not everybody can afford a giant reclaimed salvaged beam, but I've found planks of reclaimed wood from either a salvage shop or from a hardware store, stain them. And if you cut them in a quarter inch round and attach them, they can end up looking like a solid piece of wood. I mean, we do stuff like this all the time on the design shows because you've got to really stretch the dollar. There's a lot of fun things you can do to really give your house a voice. Things like that, try it. Don't be afraid to take a risk or to do something, as you said, that's like a mistake. I'm always saying that to people about art too. It's like people get so nervous. It's like, No, that's supposed to be a thing that just brings you joy. 
don't worry about it. It's only a nail in the wall. I don't like to buy art for clients, actually. But I'm like, what moves you? Because what moves me is a white canvas. <laughs> <laughs> but for you, you know what I mean? So I think it's such a, it's a funny thing. Also something that doesn't need to be rushed. But I agree. You have to take chances and risks and, and find out. And again, sometimes it's those mistakes that you find something even better than what you thought you wanted. How do you keep things organized and keep it stylish and creative with young kids at home? I am a minimalist at heart. For me, the big rule of thumb in our house is if it's not absolutely beautiful or absolutely functional, it's out. And it sounds really simple, but it's actually really complicated in execution. Every six weeks, I would say, or every eight weeks, the kids, we have a whole ceremony again of our donation. Like, what are we going to give? What are we going to share? But I really believe in editing. We're always editing. I was actually just laughing with my office because people want a screen for their for their desk. And I was like, but you've got a screen on your laptop. We need another screen visually. And they're like, yes, it's an office. It can't just be an installation. So I get it. But as a house, every six to eight weeks, we're always doing a quick edit. Yeah. And I think that's cool. Do it as a family. I do think that constant editing and donating and making the kids a part of that is really cool. It's great. And listen, those kids have to earn new things. Nate and I are very cognizant of the fact that they're growing up very different than he and I grew up. They are very aware, like it's not a free for all. Those kids earn everything. Like I said, they've got obligations to the house. They've got their chores. Um, if they want something, we come up with a way for them to earn it. And I think it goes a long way. And I think it, again, it shifts the respect in, of what's in the house and, and um, I don't know, so far so good. You have so many amazing projects that you're working on, that you've been working on. What's next? I saw you and Athena hinting towards something you guys are doing. What's next for you? There's a lot where the design firm is like tripled over the last year. And so we're really excited. There's a lot of really amazing projects that are wrapping up and new ones beginning. I launched a collection with The Grove last year. That's going to come again. It's going to be a little bigger and better. So I'm excited about that. It's going to be just kind of everything that we had last time and then some trying to take it a step further. Again, I love the idea of sustainability. I think it's in the future of design and so important. So I'm excited about that. Um, Nate and I are coming back. We're doing our show again. So we're going to start shooting that in the next month or so, which is going to be really exciting because we love doing it together. And the Athena thing is actually really interesting. I mean, she and I have gotten approached a couple times about collaborating on a couple things in design. So we're going to give it a shot and see how we do. But we're, we're really excited. We're going to try this out and see how it goes. And we both obviously respect each other immensely creatively. So we're having a good time kind of like putting our heads together and challenging each other and, and trying to see what we can create together. Friends working together, I think experimenting, having fun. I mean, that's what it's all about. Exactly. And like I said, I learned a long time ago, there's more than one way to create something beautiful. And that's really where you learn is when you push each other. So we're, we're excited about that. In challenging times, we lean on the things that support us, uplift us, and make us happy. In this signature franchise, Domino Editors ask our guests quickfire style about the 10 things that are making them happy from the books that inspire them to the personal items that tell their story 
to the places they love to eat, travel, and feed their soul. Who are some of your design heroes? Yosef Hoffman is a big one for me. Brancusi is a huge one, a really big inspiration for me. This is not terribly original. I think I've said it a million times, but Excel Vervoort, I think, is somebody who, in my dream, that's how I would live. I could live in like a damp <laughs> monastery with one stone bowl. Like that works for me. It's Nate's first nightmare. But, you know, my design here, I think the Viennese secession for me is like a really big, big moment creatively. Like that's a real hero for me right now. I think what they were doing in Vienna, I think it was just really special. So timeless and so incredible. And I think learning what periods and eras inspire you and then taking the time to find that stuff because it's out there. I mean, Yosef Hoffman, like, I am also obsessed, but if you really look, whether it's across eBay or Cherish or Etsy, you can find some pieces and it doesn't have to be so crazy expensive. And the thing that's interesting about Yosef Hoffman and all that is like those lines, those pairings were so contemporary and to your point, so timeless still. And that's what I love. It's like, okay, that this has been things, people were doing such interesting things in such interesting ways for me creatively. It's just, it's really impactful. Where are you at with color? What colors are you loving? And then what color are you feeling right now? I'm really obsessed with greens and oxblood and some of these like autumnal colors. I just really love them. And I think that for me right now is really exciting and kind of play on like different prints a bold black and white stripe paired with some oxblood and these deep greens. And I don't know, I think that for me right now is where I'm at. And this blush color, mm. which hasn't really gone anywhere, but like that aged blush, I think is really beautiful. It's kind of like a neutral. Favorite material of the moment? Teddy, like that deep teddy fabric, you know, and like a brown teddy I love right now. I just got two chairs and I'm obsessed with them. Favorite? hotel you can't wait to go back to, city you can't wait to go back to, and restaurant, whether it's because of the interior or just a place in your mind you return to? Favorite hotel? I'm going to say the Ritz in Spain because it felt like you were on the Titanic. It was all original and old and the, the everything was just so good. It was, it was so special. My favorite place I want to go, I miss Mexico a lot. I really do. I miss the beaches in Mexico. We used to be there at least four or five times a year. I miss the sand and I miss the heat. I miss that a lot. The restaurant I want to go back to, I miss the polo bar here in New York. Me too. I do. Which I, it's so like, over it, the top. So, it, I know it's so over the top, but it was just, it felt so new. It just always just felt so New York in like the purest sense of the word and getting dressed up and walking down the stairs. I don't know. I miss, I miss that. I miss, I miss that place. Favorite design object of the moment or a thing you're lusting after or something you have, you love. We just got this painting from Live Auctioneers, shocker. It looks like moody lambs. Mm, <laughs> love that. But it's not. I think we I all feel believe. like moody lambs right now. Exactly. That's my nickname now. <laughs> um, but I, I love it. It feels like very Lalanne to me. Like I, I can't describe it, but it's in the house right now. And I look at it every day and it makes me really happy. It's like my favorite thing in our home. 
Favorite furniture designer? Royer. Still my absolute favorite. Favorite book and film or TV show that provides inspiration? I would say Goodbye, Picasso is my favorite book. I love that book so much. There's so much inspiration in it. Um, We just watched a new TV show, actually, that I got so inspired by called Made in Italy. It's all about Milan in the 1970s. It's when Milan was on the precipice of changing and becoming really the, the place for fashion. And it's fun and it's pretty and it's sparkly and silly. And But the furniture and the landscape, I, found, I was so inspirational to see like all these pieces from the 70s that are so iconic now, just being utilized in everyday ways. I, I loved it. It was a big inspiration. Favorite plant? Black olive all day long. And florals. Are you into flowers? Cherry blossom or white roses. Again, I don't like a lot of color, even with the flowers. Our daughter, on the other hand, anything that's got color, like anything. Nate's mother, before this pandemic, we went to her house and her house is like a kaleidoscope. And it looked like our daughter had seen color for the first time. It was like, <laughs> like, heard her eyes. like yeah. it was like the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> like she was like, what is this place? I'm like, oh God. <laughs> Hilarious. Okay, favorite vintage source. Is it live auctioneers? Yes, live auctioneers is my absolute favorite source. But I also love first dibs. I, to this day, I still think it's a great resource. And But live auctioneers is, is just fun because you can't believe the things you can find. Also, eBay France. If you put it in ebay.com.fr or whatever, you'd be shocked with what you can find on there. Favorite way to unwind? At nighttime, after the kids go to bed, Nate and I always sit down, just the two of us, and talk for 20 minutes. And it's become like a really important part of my day, even though we spend every single moment together. (laughs) That's so cool. Yeah. He's still my favorite thing. And we always sit down and talk for 20 minutes after the kids go to bed. And I love it. Iconic space that continues to inspire you. The New York Public Library. Nate and I actually were married there. And it was uh, part serendipitous and in part because we really wanted our kids to always have a place to go back to. There's something about that place that it always just sparks so much in me. And it houses so much in it. So that's my favorite still. Jeremiah, thank you so much. This has been so fun. I love everything you're doing. It's so inspiring. Well, thank you. That means a lot. Design Time is produced by Team Domino, with special thanks to Alex Redgrave, Linda Denahan, Aaron Cunningham, Madeline Montoya, Erica Maltz, Kay Wang, Britt Ashcroft, and Ali Elquiza. Our theme music is by the talented Alex Weinstein. If you like this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. See you guys next week, right here on Design Time.